0: Knockout Ginger, episode 32, with Jacob Sachs. Piano player, composer, teacher, great dude. Sat down with him in November, I think, was when he was... Uh, yeah, that was the one he was here. And ran into some computer trouble, so you're just hearing it now. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Follow, whatever. Tell your friends. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. F all the haters. I guess as a starting point, I probably saw between 2013 and like 2017, when I moved back here, I probably saw every Benny 55 bar gig. So that was my entry point. Cool. For you. Well, I, I knew you from the... I first found you on the Alice O record many, many years ago. And then the... Uh, D- did we
1: meet at the 55
0: bar? We might have just in passing, but I also wouldn't have had this. So... Cool. I don't know. Yeah. Um,
1: so the beard was a uh, Toronto e- uh, phenomenon? The later, the later New I like York it. days. I, I dig yeah. it.
0: Um, when did... When did you start playing with Benny?
1: I started playing with Dave Benny. The first time was in somebody else's band, a guy by the name of Christoph Schweitzer, who is a trombone player from uh, Switzerland. And we did a European tour of November 2000. It's a long time ago. And uh, on that tour was also Mr. Dan Weiss. And you know, things happen. And a yeah. year and a half later, we're playing in a band together with Thomas Morgan, uh, with, with Dave. so Sweet. And that continued on and off through that period that you saw it, basically. Mm-hmm. Although by that period, I believe Ivan was playing, Ivan Opsik yeah. was playing bass at that time. Um, I did the band until about 2004, 2005, and then left the band and then rejoined in 2007 and stayed till, uh... End of 2016. So that's probably the period that you saw us in, basically.
0: I saw a few with Matt Mitchell scattered in there. That was probably
1: maybe after 2017, after I left the second time.
0: Right. Um, Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I've only seen that band with Ivan.
1: Yeah, so it's first, I mean, this first version that I was least involved with was with Thomas. And that was for many, many years. That's awesome. So, so this weekend, as you know, we're here at the Rex. So you're seeing, yeah, that trio.
0: Man, last night was crazy. Like, thank you. It was so like there were moments where we were back here, and we were just like looking at each other, laughing. Like it was just so incredible. Like, was it? Uh, have they all been like the same sort of vibe, or was on this tour? Or uh, yeah, we've been playing yeah. this
1: music, and uh, you know, we we have a long history. I mean, right. Danny and I have a longer history than the Dave Minnie band. I mean, we, we went to college together. We've been playing since 1995, almost 25 years. And so our relationship, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a very deep relationship yeah. musically and close friends, knowing each other a long, long time, and played in each other's bands, played in other people's bands together, the whole bit. And, you know, because we went to college together in those formative years we had a chance to be in close proximity as artists and workshopped many ideas many concepts many ways of interacting together you know in that period very very deeply and that stuff continues to keep growing so you're you know what you heard last night uh, is a result of you know many many years of playing together and and also uh, many many years of just each of us working on our own thing too yeah. and coming back together and sharing ideas and finding the connection points again and everything else Thomas we've been playing with since 98 or 99 so he's been in there again that was before we played with him before we were a band with Dave Binney also the Dave Binney band was a great experience in, ter- in terms of allowing us a chance to play regularly together right. whereas you know in a you know a kind of a gig setting whereas maybe before that it was never that regular 'Cause as you probably remember the uh, fifty five bar gig was every two weeks. Yeah. Twice a month or what's the word fortnightly? Yeah. <laughs> I think if yeah. that's correct. I might be wrong um, about that. I don't know.
0: I always get confused with like the fortnightly, bi weekly, yeah, yeah, bi monthly, yeah. two like
1: was it two. Al- I apologize <laughs> to those uh, folks who if in case I'm wrong about that. But anyways, twice a month, every two weeks basically. And that was a that was a great opportunity to get to play regularly and explore together. So I'm very grateful that 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 happened for as long as it did. Yeah,
0: that's the, that's like looking back, that's like the watching a band that often, a regular band, Mm -hmm. even just watching, being in the audience is like such an incredible experience. You learn so much.
1: Absolutely. Well, you learn a lot being in a band that gets to play that regularly, obviously. Uh, and you know, and, as you probably discovered as perhaps a witness to it, that hearing it many times, you probably started to realize that there were many histories on those tunes and new things yet to be discovered because we we basically played a very uh similar repertoire all those years, mm-hmm. which in which was actually in a lot of ways wonderful because it kind of forced forces one to keep the conversation going, right keep expanding and keep finding new things, you know. I mean there, there are obviously advantages and disadvantages to all approaches but that particular band I, I felt that that was an advantage that that we got to really get into some material for a long stretch of time and get really deep with it
0: um so were you so even though the the band was putting out records you would still kind of go back to the same music for
1: oftentimes for, that's cool You probably noticed that certain songs pretty much appeared regularly. Yeah, I mean, you know, some things would come in and out. Some some things, uh, my memory of it is that some of the tunes were always, they were there every time we Mm -hmm. played. Some of the tunes were there most of the time. Some of the tunes would make occasional appearances. Or one might be in the rotation for a while and somehow it would leave the rotation naturally and Mm -hmm. then maybe it would come back later on. Right. And you probably also remember we played really long on those tunes. Like, yeah. Like we would play maybe three or four songs a set. Yeah. Not usually more than that. I mean it'd be rare to have five songs in a set. And that was also fun because a lot of stretching happened, you know, like mm-hmm. can you sustain the energy for that long? Keep yeah. it going.
0: Yeah. It, it, like looking back, it's like the that's like my favorite thing about New York, those experiences.
1: Well, we're lucky. Well, even I mean, I would just simply say that we're lucky that that experience happened, even in New York, where it can happen, because not everybody gets that experience. Right. Yeah. To be able to have a regular gig.
0: Yeah, it's it's starting to happen here more often now. A lot of people have weekly residencies at a lot of places, so we're seeing that pop up here a little more. That's
1: wonderful. I I would encourage everybody who gets one of those to dig deep, yeah. push yourself, and enjoy the ride, because you never know when it may not be there. Right, So yeah. if, you, if you can, you know... I mean, as I say, we, we played the same repertoire, or similar repertoire, most of the time, but and that could be the right path for some bands. For some other bands, it might be great to have new material on a regular basis. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's yeah. a lot of different ways to do things.
0: It's, yeah, that's true. My, yeah, I'm in a similar boat. I'm not sure if it's by... It might just be uh lack of work ethic, but my band's been playing the same same music for quite a while, which isn't I, bad, I but... I
1: don't think... I, I think as long as the conversation keeps expanding... Yeah, that's that ...or that the possibilities keep expanding, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. Yeah. As, long, as long as there's a growth mindset, I think that's totally fine. Right. I, I mean, I could... You know, you could say the same. Like, I'm playing the piano at every gig. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I could say, "Well, you didn't change instruments at every gig." You know, I mean, you, you know right. what I'm saying, yeah, yeah. right? So, I, I think some of it, some some of it, could be a maybe a state of mind or a philosophical approach or True. conceptual approach. I mean, there, there's definitely always room to grow, even on something you've been playing your whole life. Right. I mean, I've been playing jazz since I was 12. So and I still play F blues, for instance. Like a blues and F. Yeah. There's still something to be found on a blues and F, even though it might be something very common. Yeah. As far it, as form That's true. Yeah. You know, as far as a form that jazz musicians explore. Like I'm not I, I, I've never gotten bored of blues and F, I'll just put it that way. There's always
0: Yeah. I I feel the same way. Yeah.
1: So so if I could remember that energy on my own music then that would be good too <laughs> right
0: yeah that's a yeah this so. is a this is an important perspective uh
1: that again though i don't i don't want to say that one approach is necessarily better than another you know every band is different in some bands it might actually be really important to have a constant flow of mm-hmm. new material right you know depending on the situation or the players involved or you know what people like to do or sure. you know we We were just talking about this at a clinic the other day that, you know, like, you know, again, like uh, Danny was talking about when he writes music, he tends to think about the players he's writing for. And um, I think exactly the same way. You know, I like my music that I write is often for the bands that I'm working with or the people I'm working with. And a lot of times the question that comes in my mind is, well, what do they like to do? Right. What's the intersection of what they like to do with what I like to do or whatever that is, you know? Yeah. So, again you might be working with folks who really love having a bunch of new music every week That So that could be the way to go.
0: Could be. Yeah. You know? Um, I, so I sort of moved, I chose to move to New York because I felt like there wasn't that community sort of regular thing going on here. And now that it's here or more so I'm, pretty excited about toronto at the moment i think
1: well maybe you're a reason that that community exists or maybe you've developed that community with others is that possible or developed a community with uh i don't know
0: i'm not sure if i've been back quite long enough yet but part of the the growth i guess of moving back to a city um have you been playing here for quite a while now like
1: i've been coming to toronto i want to say the first time in my memory, is probably 2001 or 2002, but I want to say probably 2001. I I mean, I've had an almost 20-year duo project with the great singer Yoon Sun Choi, and she's from uh, Toronto. And so she and I have worked as a duo, and we've also worked in a quintet formation and Hmm. other groups, quartets, and different things. And I remember playing with her, I think was the first time I was ever at the Rex. that 's that 's my memory, so i 've been coming here now eighteen years at least
0: right, yeah, longer than i 've been coming here,
1: so um, it just shows you how old I am at this point
0: <laughs> uh, so you mentioned yesterday that the, you had a teacher here, but that would have been before
1: well, no, I' out well no that that person's name is Mark Kieswetter. and so i 'll just take a moment to tell you a little bit about right. Mark Kieswetter. Um, who was my first jazz teacher. And at the time, I, I'm from a town called Monroe, Michigan, mm-hmm. which is just south of Detroit. And it's uh, just north of Toledo, Ohio, even though I'm from Michigan. The border is right there. Yeah. So um, when I was 12 years old, I, I had kind of run my course uh, you know, with my first uh, piano teacher. Her name was Jean James, and she was a very nice lady, but she didn't teach jazz. She taught kind of a... A normal classical approach that you might find in a small town she she's a very lovely person she did the best she could and uh, i did learn a lot from her um but i was kind of at a crossroads like like i wasn't finding uh, the setting that we were working in to be the kind of creativity that would keep me involved in it let's so, so my parents uh, who are who were smarter than my, you know, smarter than I was at the time, of course, and probably, I think safely, uh, I can safely say they still are to this day. Um, thought well, don't quit. Let's try some jazz lessons. You know, there's a jazz band in the seventh grade that I could join as a pianist, and my dad was like, well, "Let me, let me talk to some friends of mine." My my dad played accordion. Mm-hmm. He he did gigs occasionally um, as an adult. I think even as a kid, he played like weddings and that kind of thing. And my mom had played some piano and she was a dancer. They they, they didn't make careers out of it, but they were connected with music mm-hmm. um, and what have you on some level. So he had a friend, I remember the guy's name, his name was Roy Stein. And Roy said, oh, definitely take Jacob to go meet Mark Kieswetter. And uh, I studied with Mark until I moved to New York at age 18, so six years with Mark. And, you know, Mark... Easily was one of the, you know, great teachers that I've had in my life. I would, you know, in my last record that I released uh, called Fishes on uh, Clean Feed, um, there's a line in the liner notes where I thank the four teachers that for me have meant the most as far as my piano teachers. Mm-hmm. And the first one was Gene James, who I mentioned, and then Mark Kieswetter. Then when I got to college, it was Gary Dial, and then finally Sophia Rozoff, who just passed away recently. But anyway, back to Mark he was an amazing teacher for me he he was able to work in a completely organic i would say a completely organic and holistic way mm-hmm. towards like teaching me information but then letting me find my own way i mean i'll never forget the first song we learned was duke ellington's satin doll and i like so i learned the melody and i learned the chords and then he would play electric bass while i was playing the piano he said okay man take a solo i was like what do you mean, take a solo? I mean, 12 <laughs> right. years old, you know, what, what? Yeah, he's like, go, just go. A- and I can't imagine in a way, uh, both, uh, obviously a little scary, but it's what it is. Ride the wave, jump right. in.
0: Right. So like, he moved here later.
1: He later he... moved here. I yes. see. Yeah. Okay. So he was, he was from there and, uh, yeah, he was a profound, profound influence on me. I mean, I remember being 16 or 17, playing a monk tune in a lesson, playing it like monk, and he was like, even at that age, he's like, well, that's nice, but don't. I think you have something to say also, so maybe you should say what you need to say on it, not just play like monk, you know? And uh, I'm very lucky. I've, I, all my teachers, at just the right moment, when there was like one of these moments of me trying to imitate somebody else, would always remind me you know, that's fine. You can study that person, but don't forget. Right. You need to have your own your own thing yeah. and don't and not be afraid of it and and share it with us.
0: It's really special that that happened that young.
1: Well, I I think most people are like that anyway. We're all individuals. Yeah. It's just sometimes we're discouraged. Right. By the wrong people at the wrong time. Thankfully, I was lucky enough to be encouraged right. at just the right time when it could have gone either way. And and actually, I I often tell people these three stories. I mean that's the one from Mark. the one from Gary Dial. Uh, I could tell you one where it had same thing happened. I was a freshman in college and I had gone to see Kenny Werner play and, and I was blown away by his playing that particular night. So I remember my next lesson I was kind of playing like Kenny and Gary was uh, the lesson was at Gary's apartment in Midtown. And I remember uh, he was in the kitchen getting something and I was just kind of playing at the piano and I was playing like Kenny or a version of that. And I remember him yelling from the kitchen. He's like, hey, Jacob. Hey, man. Isn't it enough to like Kenny? You have to play like him too? Jeez. <laughs> so that happened. And then uh, later on, I was studying with Sophia Rozoff And I was talking about my uh, admiration for Marc-Andre Hamelin, a Canadian, great Canadian pianist and uh, we, were, we were doing classical music in those lessons and uh, I, I think I may have said something disparaging about myself about, oh I wish I could play like that and, and she, uh, she stopped everything kind of dead in its tracks she said you know if we all sounded the same on every piece we'd only need one pianist she's like, she's like you need to be the best version of yourself that you can be and that, right. that applies to all music, classical, jazz, whatever it is. Like, I'm not going to play the Beethoven the Sonata the same way, nor should I, Right. from her point of view. And I agree completely. Yeah. With that. So um, I was very lucky, again, to have people who, um, and my parents as well, obviously. I mean, I was in a household that encouraged me to be who I was. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I'm very, very fortunate that way.
0: Yeah. I have a similar, similar thing for me. Uh, pretty encouraged to do my own thing. Yeah. I, for
1: anybody listening who maybe is developing their skills, I, I just want to mention it's not bad to have models, yeah. right? To have people that we're inspired by that perhaps we might take on some of their shapes perhaps mm-hmm. to learn about their choices. I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think, though, the when it becomes dangerous is when we don't personalize what we've learned, you know? So with my own students... You know, we might learn a solo, let's say. But then the most important part of the process after that is to take every part of that solo and re reimagine it, recreate it in one's own voice. And and I think that oftentimes, um, you know, people forget about that step. Like, hey, I sound like my favorite artist now or something, right. you know. And it's like as if that should be the goal. And, and I actually just think that's kind of the kind of getting your admission ticket or just paying right. to get in the door. I mean, that's like literally just the very, very beginning. But the, pro- the problem is that can take years to even do that. So yeah. that's why folks, I think, when they've reached that point, they sometimes feel like, I did it, you yeah. know. And I would just uh, perhaps suggest that I-, I know it may have been a long road to even just get to that step, but actually the the big step is the next one right. to try to somehow somehow get that into your own vernacular your own voice your own imagination change it add to it whatever it is right the hardest part well also the most exciting part yeah um
0: in a a way yeah are you a uh, are you a big um do you or did you record yourself often and listen back to yourself often or is that something you do
1: or um there have been periods where I've listened back to things and I made albums obviously yeah uh, but but to be honest, that's uh, most of that is just for the archive. Uh, you know, yeah. as far, when the gig is done, it's for me, it's more or less done. I it's do. on to the next gig, on to the next thing. I, I will remember things that I often want to improve, or I'll remember something that I wish I had connected in a deeper way, perhaps. Mm. My memory, I, I, I usually remember the things that I uh, didn't feel connected with. Right. And those things often form a lot of the inspiration for the next thing to work on. Uh, my wife, uh, her name is Miranda Seeloff, she's an amazing, amazing classical violist. Uh, she pointed something out because obviously we live together so she's, you know, she is a keen observer of, of musicians' processes, you know, so I was, uh, I had done this gig and it was clear that I was dissatisfied. It was a one-time gig, one mm-hmm. of these things where you learn a piece, and it's not really going to happen again necessarily. I was still practicing that piece two weeks after the gig, and she said, she gave me a, she said something to me that really made me feel good, for, I have to admit. She said, you know, it's a mark of a good musician where the gig is over, you're not going to play that piece again, but you're still here practicing it. And it was a good reminder, because I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was doing it because there were things I didn't find yet. And right. I was curious. Was it a classical piece or? Uh, it was or? a, it was a version of uh, James P. Johnson's Carolina shout. Um, there was a concert that was organized by Ethan Iverson. that featured a bunch of pianists all playing it. And kind of the idea was for everybody to, to play their version of it. Hmm. And and uh, so I played my version of it, and there were definitely some things I was looking for, and I had to keep looking for them right. after the concert. So it was, a, it was a good reminder. Not that one has to necessarily uh, analyze their own process at all stages, hmm. but I, I appreciated so much when she pointed that out to me, because it was like, yeah, the, the work doesn't just end with the concert i often tell my students that anyway i've always used this language well all performances are really beginnings they're not really endings i mean you could view them as being endings but i often view them as being like you've opened some new doors now you know what are you going to do next with that information that you just learned
0: right if that makes any sense it does it yeah um
1: do you feel that way on every gig there's always there's always room for uh, you know everything can be deeper you know there's no end to anything I mean there's that story of monk where you know he basically said something to the effect I don't remember the language of the story but he said he says like when you think you're swinging you're not done right like there's no end to how much it, something might swing so you could you could be as swinging as you think you're capable of and there's still going to be a deeper place to go with that. And I kind of believe that pretty much with everything. I mean like anything that I played last night uh that went well, let's say, or that I connected well or was aware that awareness was, you know, on a high level, let's say. I would still say there's a deeper place to get with all of that. Now I don't I don't view that as being uh negative information, as anything. I think it, again, I think of it as an opportunity. It's actually very positive. It's nice to know that you can kind of never quite get there. You can only, again, I'll use my teacher, Sobia Rosoff's language, she said, all you can ever ask for is to get a little closer. And I, I have to say I'm in complete agreement yeah. with her view. Um, I, I like this idea that there's no end to how deep one might get with something, and there might be a new lesson to be found. Now, it might be hard to find it at times, mm-hmm. and it might feel very far away, but it's it's worth uh, it's worth exploring towards. If I can say it that way.
0: Yes. Oh yeah. All great things. To to. Yeah. Try these to think these are about. kind
1: of. I, I don't know if you wanted to go here in this uh, podcast, but. Yeah. Like these are these may might be. Yeah. This is deeper thoughts yeah. than, than. I feel like uh, this
0: is a lesson also. Yeah.
1: I I I'm you know I'm. I, I'm an artist. I play, but I I teach. I take it pretty seriously, actually. Uh, my parents were both teachers, actually, in their working lives at one point, and I think I I, I feel very very much that it's important to pass along whatever was shared with me mm-hmm. with anybody else who might be interested. Uh, I I think that I think that's the only way we can get any growth. I'm often telling my students, you know you know, if I have a goal with as a teacher, it would be for my students to sound better than me and to save time and to do it better and to ultimately displace me, you know. Now, I, I often tell them that I'm not going to stop practicing, so they might have to also work hard, too, you know. Right. But, but ultimately, that would be the goal, is that as you pass along whatever you can, that the next generation and then the next generation will do more with it, do better with it. Mm-hmm. And, and... uh I feel like, you know, my job was to be the best I could be and still to this point to keep trying to expand and learn. Obviously, I mean, I'm not going to stop. But, right. but again, I'm, I'm always hopeful that successive generations will do it even better, whatever it is, you know. And that thing could transform itself completely. Like, you know, what's on the surface might be completely different. You know, the music of the day is always changing anyway, but I think the underneath stuff... The universal things are always there.
0: A bunch of my friends have taken lessons with you and studied mm-hmm. with you, and uh, they uh, feel like they also have sort of inherited this uh, mindset from you, which I think is awesome.
1: Which I would, which I would just say, is an amalgam of all the things that were shared with me. So I'm, you know, people who study with me often hear the names of my teachers. Mm-hmm because I, I don't think and you know probably these thoughts came from their teachers I mean my teachers often talked about their teachers right. and again it's like this grand relay race or something maybe it's not a race you know but, a, but it's this way of passing on something that you got from somewhere else so I hope, I hope if they think of my name uh, they might also then think of my teachers as I just mentioned those four people and then they might think, if they do a little research, they could easily find out some of those people who were their teachers were. Right, yeah. You know, so I like, you know, uh, Sophia Rosoff studied with Abby Whiteside and also studied with Charlotte Selver. Gary Dial studied with Charlie Banacus, so on and so forth, yeah. things like that. And then you start to realize that this is... A lot of this, people found things, of course, you know, each of us finds things based on our own experiences. I, I've found things through teaching that I never would have found if I hadn't taught. So a lot, a lot of this stuff is not so much like a, you know, a list of things to do so much as it's like, well, where are we at? How can we get deeper? How can we connect, have more awareness? A whole bit so it's nice to hear that perhaps some of the lessons I've shared have been helpful so that, 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 that's good to hear I didn't reach out to Sophia Rozov um, even though I was aware of her until later Yeah, I knew about her actually Gary Dial also studied with her and I knew about her when I was 18 or 19 but I, uh, I got done with college and I really felt like I needed a period without a teacher for some odd reason and um, it was just a feeling I had, so I went with it. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, it wasn't until all of a sudden a weird pain came into my arm that I thought, well, I can't figure out what's going wrong here. I had already had some uh, problems when I was 18, and Gary Dowell had helped me work through them. And basically, I was fine until my early 30s, the first time I'd had a problem that I couldn't figure out. And funny enough, uh, Dan Weiss was taking a piano lessons from Sophia at the time. And I, I asked his opinion. I was like, what, well, do you think I should go see her? He said, yeah, I think you absolutely should go. And so I was encouraged to make the leap of faith and have a teacher again. And I walked in, and she said, well, where is the pay? And I said, I pointed to the spot in my arm. She said, well, play for me. So I played for, you know, 15, 20 seconds. She said, too much fingers. Don't lift your fingers. Just play. Let the fingers go. Don't Don't, don't do extra preparation before playing a note. I know this is, be, this, is, this is just audio only, so I, I can't show this visually. Uh, anybody who wants more information can seek me out. <laughs> anyway, because of my previous experience of having fixed things, I was able to do what she asked immediately. And all of a sudden, the pain went away. I was like, oh. And then she looked at me and said, does that feel better? And I said, yeah. And then she said, well, what's next? And so that was the beginning of multi-year almost every week until she died, uh, experience that I had studying with her. And we explored a lot of classical music and a lot of different things. It's beautiful. It it was beautiful. And I'm very grateful and thankful to have been able to have those lessons with her and that time with her. And uh, I was very, you know, people at that age are well within their right to say, I'm not teaching today and uh i would say and she was very willing to let me come by so i feel very fortunate that she never said no to me except when she was one time she had the flu or something she said no of course but she said please wait a week but other than that she let me come around regularly
0: yeah it's the best what would we do without teachers
1: well you know you have to (laughs) <laughs> Again, that's part of it, but also working on yeah. oneself is part of it. Yeah, you know, the teacher is the guide, but you, ultimately we have to do the explorations. Right. You know,
0: I'm in a, I'm in a similar. So I just turned thirty, and I, I'm in a similar place of like, it feels like I don't need it. I need a period without a teacher. Right. This now. is the
1: first period you've ever had without a teacher. Yeah, that could be true. I, I, everybody's different. I. I actually feel like my uh, mistrust, or, or, or I shouldn't use that word, uh, my feeling of wanting to not have a teacher for a period, uh, the way I was thinking about it at the, at the time, may have been a little bit uh, uh, closed minded mm-hmm. Like I, I, you know, I, I said something actually during my lessons with Sophia She's like, you know, I told her, you know, I did know about you, and I'm regretful that I didn't come earlier. And she said to me, "No, you came exactly when you were supposed to come." And, of course, it made me feel better at that moment. Now that she's gone, though, I wish I had had even more years with her to have that that uh, genius of what she could offer to be around me. But I have to say, I wasn't ready to have a teacher until that moment happened where all of a sudden I was like, I kind of want to ask some questions again. Right. So, I... I, I uh, you, you probably, it's probably the right thing to take a period and, and ask yourself some questions. Uh, it may also be that maybe you don't have to wait as many years as I waited. until yeah. your next uh, thing. I, I will just say one last thing though uh, about or maybe it was not the last thing, but I just also want to say, you know, I've had these formal piano teachers in my life, but you know, all my friends and my colleagues have been my teachers. You know, if I had a question about a rhythm, I could talk to Danny could talk to my friend Jacob Garchek about things. There's a there's a, such a wide and uh, large community that I've been lucky enough to be a part of that, you know, we've all shared things with each other and helped each other to develop that I would be remiss if I didn't say that those people have been as much my teachers in my life as these individuals I named before. Right. Um, so I just want to point that out that we're all we're you know humans are learning machines you know we're, we're learning from everybody all the time and uh, I've learned so much from my peers and my associates that you know that you know there's, there's I can't even I can't even put into words how much that really is mm-hmm. I mean it's it's so important
0: yep I, I agree I think that this is part of where I'm I'm at at the moment because mm-hmm. I'm playing with a lot of people that I also listen to right now, and I think whenever I, um, I feel like there's a lot of information coming in at this point, and that, that I already don't know what to do with. So having someone else, uh, having uh, what, what did what did we uh, having a formal teacher seems very overwhelming at the moment
1: maybe it's also good not to know for a period yeah. and have to find out it's true yeah. which i you know i don't necessarily think is bad either mm. yeah it sounds like you're probably in the right spot for a moment at least and that spot may last 10 20 years or <laughs> you know 10 or 20 days yeah. i don't know I mean, yeah see what happens but
0: yeah who knows
1: as long, I think as long as one feels connected and feels, feels like you're growing, you're not hurting yourself physically. You know, For me, part of the issue was I had a pain that I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong, and so that was a very helpful moment to go ask for some advice. It just, turned, it just so happened that she had such a deep knowledge of so many things in terms of connection and awareness that it really, it, it really was great for me to have that experience with her. She was, you know, she really, she could really get somebody, uh, a student or anybody she was working with to, to see and hear and experience far past the surface and to get really, really deep with the stuff. So that was a great experience for me, but I was ready to have that experience. You know, I was at this age where, again, these questions had cropped up and, and so it was a good, it was a good moment for me. So I don't think you have to be overly worried if you have a period with uh, no teacher. Right. Yeah. Necessarily. You'll know when it's right to go back. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Or to ask questions again or have a formal thing. So Gary Dial was through... Gary Dial was my teacher in college,
0: yeah. Um, Do you think having one teacher through college
1: is is the way? No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But for me, it, it seemed it seemed like the right thing. I I think yeah. the only thing I would say though is that with a teacher, at least for me, you might get the bigger concepts in one, two, or three, six lessons, let's say. Sometimes it's dealing with things as they come up and asking questions and exploring together that ultimately will be the thing because you know, the bigger concepts, I, I think most people will agree with them. I, I don't... I think even when I talk about them with students who come to me for just a few lessons, it seems like these concepts are so universal people get them, you know. I think the real issue, though, is often uh, is beyond that. It's like, well, okay, now here's this piece. How do these questions intermingle or intersect this thing I'm dealing with? Or what are the questions? And... uh It's interesting, you know, every piece has its own shapes or own issues, you know, as it, you know, as it relates to the person who's playing it or exploring it, so on and so forth. So I feel like for myself, the long associations with these teachers um, have been for the most part fruitful now that doesn't mean i haven't had other experiences with people that were just like a master class once or a jazz camp when i was a kid i mean i got to interact with hal galper at the jamie abrissall jazz camp when i was 15 years old and that was a profound week of my life actually that was an incredible experience to get to have him at least for me uh talk about his view on jazz improvisation and group interplay and the whole bit and how to play the piano those ideas were very powerful as well but that was obviously just one week. Yeah, it wasn't many years.
0: Yeah, I had I spent two days with him, and that's like he's a very that changed
1: me. He he's he, he has a very unique way of of um, describing what's happening, mm-hmm. and I think it's quite profound. Uh, at least that, that was my experience as a fifteen-year-old. I had never heard anybody talk about jazz or improvisation or let's say ensemble playing small group ensemble playing the way he was able to, and those lessons still resonate actually to this day a lot I have to say as a teacher though I should have probably mentioned his name earlier on those those were also very important in my formative years I mean I, th- I think having that experience with him has been very helpful up to this day. I mean playing in a small jazz group is like. Those, you need to have good en- ensemble skills to yep. play well in it and yep. he I, really brought some of those bigger questions into even just a jazz camp in the mi- midwest yeah. he was able to bring these big profound questions on a bunch of us who perhaps had never pondered them at all
0: mm-hmm. so, even something as simple as just telling me to look at the drummer's stick hitting the cymbal and I think about it. Or to it hear like,
1: the whole sound. Yeah. He talks about that. I mean, he's, he's one of the few people who will talk about the beginning, middle, and end of a sound and how to perhaps even um, connect that. Now, I know that for our folks who might be listening who are classical musicians, they already know this because, like my wife, she, of course, being a string player, listens to the beginning, middle, and end of a sound. Right. It's very easy in jazz, uh, being a jazz pianist, I'll just say for myself, to only hear maybe the beginning of the sound or only be concerned with like well what am i going to play right here in the spot or what am i doing and sometimes you get caught up with what it is you're doing and you're you're kind of losing sight or losing uh, not not let's say losing awareness of the whole of the whole sound of a note so he was very uh, very helpful in reminding me that music is you know there are sounds that one has to be aware of you're, Yeah, sound art, you know.
0: Yep, he... um, I mean, I don't even know where to start. He fixed so many things
1: with me. He's a... Use his own words. He he believes in the idea of radical change in a lesson. Like, he's literally... Like, I think it's, if I remember remember correctly, his language, his goal was to to get massive change, like, instantaneously, like, all of a sudden, getting you to realize what's already there and be able to act upon it instantaneously. And he's pretty good at that, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, great teacher in that way. Again, great for me. I don't know if it's always great, you know, with every teacher, you never know where you're going to get a synergy. I've been very lucky you know yeah. with a lot of these teachers that do you want anything I'm okay right yeah. now I'm okay
0: thanks thanks um, are you guys done the tour tonight
1: or no no we're, we're here tonight in yeah. Toronto one more night and then we're going to go to Montreal for two nights Great. and then that's it and cool. then we travel home on Sunday
0: nice um, where are you in Montreal Diezons? sweet cool
1: uh, Which is uh, I, was, I was actually just there a couple of weeks ago with uh, the Landline collective band that I'm in with right. Chet Doxas and Zach Lober and Vinny Spraza. And we had a great time there, and so I'm sure we'll have a great time there with uh, Dan Strio. Yeah,
0: That band, uh, when you were here last or two weeks ago. Also quite a very a,
1: interesting group, right? Quite a band, yeah.
0: Um, I've never heard... I'm used to hearing Chet in pretty different situations than that. And it was great to hear him like that. It was. It's
1: it was a very, very fun, fun. band. I don't yeah. know if you. I don't know if you know. Did we tell you about the concept of yeah. that band? Okay. So for those yeah. who don't know, it, it, the the band uses the telephone game as a way of doing cooperative composition. So one person will come up with an initial, I- initial idea, send it on to the next person, who then can do whatever they want with it, including throwing it in the shredder or doing nothing. Everything in between goes to the next person. They do whatever they want. Goes to the final person. It's a quartet that person finishes the piece. With four people, there's 24 permutations of that assembly line that would allow everybody to be in every position equally going to every other person. So 24 pieces total. So everybody, each of the four of us, had a chance to finish six pieces, essentially, in addition to starting six initial ideas. And so... um, what ha- the great thing quickly I'll try to do this quickly you know we live in a we live in a moment where there's a lot of energy towards cooperatives and I actually think that cooperatives are very important I think uh, I I wish there were more cooperatives in general throughout society this you know to put it all on the table here and so this has been a wonderful way of getting, at least with our band, that band Landline, it's been a wonder, wonderful way to uh, explore this idea of what is composing together mean? And for me, whenever I've composed together with people in the past, it's usually very messy, like disagreements, people not being happy. The telephone game takes all of that away. You relinquish control as soon as you send it to the next person. And so it's been a really good reminder that ultimately we don't have any ownership anyway of any of this stuff. Eventually we're not going to be here. And if people still play our music, they're going to play it the way they want to play it. So it's a great reminder that it's nice to be part of something and to also feel like the things that you create, they could go in a million directions. The amazing thing about the band is as these things happen, you'd send an idea and sometimes people would ignore your idea. The, the secret is, though, it's still in there. Even if somebody sent me something and I threw it in the shredder, let's say, which we didn't, I'm just saying that, to, you know, that's, right. we didn't actually physically right. do that. But I, let's say I ignored something. Just the act of ignoring something still means the resonance of the idea is there. So what's funny is sometimes ideas would be jettisoned, but they're still there. Amazing. Amazing experience. <laughs> yeah. And so what you heard on, at that gig a couple weeks ago was essentially a band that has done this, and we've taken a similar tack to the performance to the point to the point of where everybody can interpret any part of any of it any way they want, including playing multiple tunes at once. I mean, as the tour went on, we were getting to things that I was quite amazed by, like like sometimes the songs would end up at multiple you know tempos. Didn't necessarily think that was going to happen, but it did. All kinds of stuff started happening. Things would like bleed into other things in fascinating ways. And it was it was a fun it's a fun group and we're planning to do a lot more and uh yeah it's it's been a good educational experience for all of us, I think.
0: Yeah, it was uh and a very entertaining experience. I'm, I'm sure like watching it watching two nights of it and seeing how things evolved over two nights. Because they were very different, right? Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah. I mean that's my recollection is we uh and, and I, the th- funny thing is the second night I don't really even remember I didn't remember so well how everything had exactly went the first night because uh, it was already in process anyway Things we'd already played three gigs things were changing yeah. all the time it was, it was pretty amazing amazing experience
0: a lot could probably be taken from that and just applied to other situations too are there bands? Yeah.
1: Well our our hope is that people will either take the idea and run with it in a you know the same way it was just fine but I would actually hope that somebody will take a look at what we did and come up with an even better way of doing it and expand somehow upon this notion of how does one do a cooperative because you know a lot of times people do co-op you know collective bands or cooperative bands and it is kind of like it's kind of like you'll play your tune as if it's your band, and then play the other person's tune as if it's their band. All of a sudden, and so this actually kind of, kind of it evened all that out. It's like, right. well, everybody's the composer, everybody's the performer. It's interesting, interesting results in a way that I, I don't think I could have found those results if I had had to make all the decisions by myself. You know, I'll just put it that way. I right. I don't. I really do think what we found is quite special, because it really is an amalgam of the four of us. I mean, all the bands I play with have a have a spirit of that anyway, but this but ne- it's never happened with what's on the page as much as it has in that band. So that's been an interesting experiment to explore and see right. what happen, you know, find out what happened in that first round of twenty four pieces.
0: That's a yeah yeah. I gotta I should try that.
1: Um, you have to have like-minded individuals who want to make the leap of faith though I mean thankfully yeah. the only reason it worked is I think all four of us were willing to make the leap of faith right. you really have to allow yourself this feeling that you don't need to have control over the results
0: right. um, have you done the Udon hang yet? With that's Karen? coming up coming in a few up. minutes alright
1: alright well uh I guess that's I mean, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so Thanks much for doing me. this. Uh,
0: it's going to be quite an episode. We I hope a, it's enjoyable po- for anybody who hears
1: it. Potent episode. Hey, check me out at what? Well, can I give you my info yeah. really quickly? So I'm uh, I'm at JacobSacks.com. J-A-C-O-B-S-A-C-K-S, like sacks of potatoes. dot com. Uh, you can find my music also on Bandcamp. I think I mentioned I had an album out on Clean Feed called Fishes, which is uh most recent record with Tony Malaby, Ellery Eskilin, Dan Weiss, and Mike Formanek. Um, lots of stuff percolating. I know a lot of this interview is about my teaching. If anybody, I, I do do Skype lessons and in-person lessons for anybody who's interested. So just to put that out there. It's Always happy to share.
0: So. Amazing. Amazing. Um, i'll put all the links in the uh in the thing thanks
1: appreciate it very much